Hi, welcome to Coast Hills Church Weekend Online Sermon by Pastor Chet Lowe. We invite you to attend our services on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. Our address is 5 Pursuit, Alicia Viejo, California, 92656. We hope to see you soon, and God bless. Well, you guys, let's give it up for our kids one more time. What's up? High five. How many of you like coming into big service? How many of you wish you were in your own service right now? How many of you see yourself on television? Huh? Say hi to yourself. Everyone say hi. Say hi to your mom and dad. Okay. Tell them your favorite fast food. Go ahead, tell them. Tell them what your favorite fast food. In and out. McDonald's. Wow. Good job. Olive Garden. I love your taste. In and out's winning. In and out's winning. Anyone over here? What's your favorite? Huh? All right, let's give it up for In and Out, huh? In and Out needs to pay me a commission for the amount of people that will go there today, right? So I want to tell you guys a story. And this story is about a little boy. He was about your age, okay? And his parents were getting ready to go on a huge trip. In fact, it was their vacation. They went to this place every single year. They kind of had to. It was what all Jewish people did. They all went to Jerusalem every year to celebrate and to meet their family and to have such a great time together. So here's what happens. Mom tells little Shimon, everyone say Shimon. Shimon. You kind of got to do it with like a like Shimon. Let me hear it. Shimon. Okay. <laughs> all right. You know how Jewish people greet each other? They say Shalom. Say Shalom to me. Do you know what that means? It means peace, all right? So I'm going to say it to you. You say it to me. Shalom. Shalom. Very good. Now go. Let's do it like, you know how, what's up? Let's go. Shalom. Okay, ready? There you go. You got it, ready? Shalom. Perfect. You guys got it. So little Shimon, say his name. Shalom. Perfect. Little Shimon, he was getting ready to go on his trip. And his mom said, hey, listen, would you pack a lunch? You're going to need a lunch. And all the Jewish people, they used to pack these little baskets. And, well, we would pack a brown paper bag. And so look what I have. I've got a brown paper bag right here in my little envelope. Well, so he goes and he's playing around. He's playing around. His mom says, listen, Shimon, would you go and make your lunch? We're getting ready to go on a journey. Now, this journey is 70 miles. And they would walk 70 miles. Can you believe it? They didn't hop in their minivan. They didn't hop in their car to go on their vacation. They had a donkey and they had their legs. All right. So everybody stomp your legs. We're getting ready to go. Okay. Oh, wait, we can't go yet. You guys, we got to pack our lunch. Well, like little Shimon, he had four brothers and sisters, right? And they had packed their lunch way before him. So when he went to go pack his lunch, all he found was Five all-wheat burritos, okay? Very important because his mom is very, very healthy. These are all-wheat burritos, okay? Look at them. They're brown, moms. They're brown. Look at them. They're all-wheat. They're super yummy. And there's one, two, three, four. There's five of them. So he put them in here, and he's like, ah, this will be good. Mm, I need some meat to put on here. So he looked in the cabinet, but all the brothers and sisters had taken all the food. So you know what he did? 
he only found two packs of tuna. So he goes, you know what? I'm going to put two packs of tuna in my bag, and I am going to get ready to go on my journey with my mom and dad. Now, this is all he had for 70 miles. This is it. This is all the food that he had. Now, here's what happens. Oh, Shimon gets on his journey, and he's starting to play a little kickball. He's playing softball. He's kicking soccer ball with his friends. And his friend and his family, they're all meeting all their other family. And now it's like tens of people. Now it's like hundreds of people. Now it's like thousands of people. And he's seen all of his friends that he sees every single year. So they're playing. They're playing tag. They're just running around this big open field because there's only one road that goes to Jerusalem. So they all meet on this road. They all travel together so they can keep safe. Well, he starts to get hungry, and so does everybody else. And some guy walks up to him and says, Hey, kid, you got any food? Shimon goes, I don't have any food. He's hungry, right? Who wants, who would like a little tuna fish sandwich? Anyone? Oh, you'll have a tortilla. Okay. Well, hold on one second and I'll give it to you, okay? So he packs his little bag and this guy comes up to him and he goes, what's your name? This is like stranger danger. Why are you coming up to me and asking me for my lunch? And he goes, well, my name is Andrew. Andrew? um, Well, see that guy up there? He wanted us to see if anybody had any food. So Shimon said, well, I mean, he seems like a good guy, and you seem like a good guy. Here, take my lunch. So the guy looked inside, and, well, let's count them. How many tortillas are there? How many? There's one, two, three, four, five. Oh, we had five Pieces of bread. Oh, my goodness. That's it. And it's all, wait, 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 wait. What else do we got? Oh, wait, don't steal my tuna. And all they had was two pieces of tuna. Oh, my goodness. Now, here's what I want you guys to do. Here's what I want you to do. Very carefully, I want everyone to stand up, stand up. And I want you all to walk up the stairs and come on the stage with me. All right, everyone, come on the stage. Come on the stage. Come on the stage, everybody. Very carefully. Okay, you can come up that way. That's fine. It's not like special. It's just a piece of wood. Come on. All right. Now, how many pieces of bread do we have? How many pieces of fish do we have? We've got two packets of tuna fish. Now, I want everyone to look at everyone out here. We've got probably 800 people here, okay? Do you think that our five Burritos and two fishes can feed everybody out here? No. Yes. Okay, who already ate their burrito? Who? You did? How am I going to share with everybody? Who else ate their burrito? I saw some eating over here. Who ate burrito? All right, everyone hold the burritos up. Hold them up. I got one. Open it up. Open it. Oh, my goodness, we got pieces of burrito everywhere. Can I have tuna? Oh, I got to hold my tuna for a second. You guys are going to eat that too. Now, listen to what happened. Listen to what happened. This kid gave this guy his five pieces of bread and his two fish, and Jesus took it, and he went like this. Thank you, God. And then he said, you, go and give some. You, go and give some. You go and give some. 
You go and get some. You, and he picked 12 guys, and they went and they distributed all the food. And guess what? Guess what? what? Not only did they have enough. They had too much. They had too much. <laughs> Let's give it up. <laughs> High five. And who knows how many extra too much did they have? Well, how many? How many? They had more than two. They had? Twelve. They had twelve. Let's give it up. He got it. All right, you guys. Well, listen. Listen what happened at the end of the story. I want you guys to hear something. Do you know that God used, well, a little boy, the Bible says. And you guys... You're fifth grade, fourth grade, third grade, and I want you to know God wants to use you today. Don't wait for tomorrow. He wants to use you today. Say today. today. Say God wants to use me. God wants to use me. Oh, I didn't hear everybody. God Ready? Wants to use me. Let's say it one more one time. Ready? God wants to use me. Awesome. Let's give it up for these guys. All right, you guys can go back to your seat. I'm going to hold on my tuna. Would you turn in your Bible with me to John chapter 6? How do I recover from that one? John chapter 6. As we continue our study, it's the story of the feeding of 5,000. There's something I want you to know. Testing reveals the teaching that we need. Testing reveals the teaching that we need. I'll never forget Mrs. Travis, my third grade math teacher. Oh, she was faithful to teach me my times tables. And I know they learn them now in kindergarten, but I, I'm a third grader, okay? And I, I learned my one times, my two times, my three times, but every Friday she gave me a one-minute pop quiz. And I discovered what I had actually learned and what I didn't learn at the end of that one-minute pop quiz. Thank you, Mrs. Travis. But so did my high school exams. My daughter said to me yesterday, it's my birthday week, and my birthday week is always miserable. It's exam week. And I said, sweetie, welcome to your life. (laughs) And whether it was my high school finals, or maybe it was my exams that were in college, not to mention writing my thesis paper for my master's program, each test that I took through life revealed if I gained the knowledge or not. Now, in college, some tests helped me reveal that that was not the route for me, like physics. I walked into physics, physics and I walked right out. I didn't even wait for a test. I couldn't even understand anything that was being said in this physics classroom. And I didn't need a test. But when I took my, I, I went to this one physics class, and it was like real physics. And then I took physics for dummies. And when I took physics for dummies, it's called college physics. They don't actually call it physics for dummies, but it is. And I took college physics, and when I took the first exam, I have a confession to make. It was the first time I had cheated in college. No, really, I did. Now, here's how I cheated. I was so nervous about this test, I did the entire problem, right? 
I did the entire problem, and all I did was I looked at, I sat next to a very wonderfully um, smart young lady. (laughs) My seat just happened to be there. I just sat down, and there she was. And I finished my answer, and I looked over just to make sure that my answer was the same as her answer. So convicted was I about this, I went and told myself to my college physics professor. And I sat there, and he looked at me, and he goes, you're an athlete, right? And I said, yeah, I'm on scholarship for swimming. He goes, well, kiss your scholarship goodbye. You're going to get kicked out of school for cheating on my exam. I started to cry. And I said to him, this is not how it's supposed to happen. God told me to come to you, and you were going to get saved. I literally said that out loud. I said, you were going to get saved. I thought God was going to use my failure to bring you to Christ. And he just turned around, didn't even look back at me for 45 minutes. And I didn't leave his office until he finally said later, hey, listen, I'm not going to tell on you. Get out of my office. Please get out of my office. But you're going to fail this test, and you better hope you make it through physics. Let me tell you something. I'm not a physics person. That's what tests reveal. But I'm thankful for my teachers. Because even though I'm not something, I didn't know multiplication tables and two and three and four or five times. I didn't know long division. I still don't think I know long division. But the truth of the matter is I had a teacher by the name of Mrs. Travis who was faithful to teach me. And Jesus, in Matthew 26, he gives himself a title. And he tells the disciples, tell him the teacher. Tell them the teacher sent you. Now, some of us have a positive and negative example of teachers in our life. My first grade teacher, Mrs. Walker, oh, she was a dream. She was the best ever. My sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Puckett, God help her. But despite my feeling, whether good teacher or not, good good teachers have a desire to see that their students are successful. That's the heart of the teacher, Jesus. Look at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. He sat down. You see, in the Jewish synagogue... When the teacher would sit down in the synagogue, it meant it was time for him to teach. Now, you know that when I come up here on this pulpit and this comes up, you know it's time to teach. It's time to go into student mode and take out your notes and start writing down some notes and start learning the Word of God. But in a Jewish synagogue, there'd be a chair here and I'd sit down and then you would know it's time for you to learn. Everyone would get quiet and the Torah would be opened. So John is letting us know by telling us that Jesus is sitting down that he's getting ready to teach his students. And I want to set the scene for you because this miracle and the beauty of this miracle, feeding of the 5,000, is the only other miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's reported in all four of the Gospels. Such impact did it have on the disciples that each one of them wrote about it in their Gospels. So the disciples themselves, Jesus had just sent them out 
on a mission trip. And we learn this through the other gospel accounts and putting the pieces together. And they, they'd just been uh, uh, sent on a mission trip and they'd just returned. And I just flew in Friday night from Turkey. And the Lord opened up a door as we are ministering with our 2035 project for me to be able to speak and minister and teach Iranian refugees. And over the last week, what a privilege it was to see God move incredibly. In fact, I was speaking with a pastor, and most of you know, four and a half years ago, God opened a door for me to minister in the nation of Iran. And while I was there, I went to one of the jails, and I prayed over one of the jails. Well, I met a pastor in Turkey who was in the jail of the place that I was four and a half years ago praying for Christians that were in that jail. And I'm sitting there looking at the man that I was praying for that I had no idea who he was. He had no idea I was praying for him. And I began to think to myself, how powerful is our prayers? We may never know the answer, yes, no, or maybe, but church, don't ever give up praying because God is using them for his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. But let me tell you about a mission trip. You're tired of the mission trip. I had jet lag the entire time. I couldn't fall asleep till 5 a.m. every single night. And the disciples, they're tired as well. They've been ministering. They've been out. They've been on a mission trip. And they're absolutely exhausted. So Jesus tells them, hey, guys, let's go on a little retreat. In Mark chapter 6, he says, let, let, let's go on a little retreat together as we begin to put the pieces of the story together. But we also read here in John chapter 6, it wasn't the, just the disciples were sent out and Jesus went off on a little prayer retreat. No, the Bible says in John chapter 6 that they saw the signs that he was doing. So he was on his own mission trip. He was just as tired as everybody else. And when they got in this boat to get to the other side... When they arrived in their deserted place at their retreat center, well, they found a crowd of people there, pilgrims. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them. He began to teach them. Luke tells us in chapter 9, verse 11, that he began also to heal their diseases. And this was going on. I've got to remember the disciples are like, look, you told us to come aside and rest a while. We thought we were going on a retreat. And now we meet all these thousands of people. You're teaching them. You're healing them. So one of the disciples, he comes up to him, and in Luke chapter 9, he says, Hey, Jesus, um, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages. Send them away. Uh, send them into the countryside. Let them go find lodging and get provisions. Uh, we're in a desolate place. There's nothing here. Jesus, it's time to send them away. You've been teaching. You've been ministering. But it's time now. Send them away. And Jesus, he looked at them. And he says, you give them something to eat. And one of them looks at Jesus and says, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread? I mean, that's, that won't even be enough to give them something to eat. All we have is 200 denarii. That's all that's in our treasury. That's all that's in our pot. Do you want us to give all of our money so that these people can eat? Now, this is where John picks up the story. And so what I did was I filled in the whole story, catching us up on the scene, and now John picks up on the story. The day, it just kept carrying on. So Jesus, being urged by his disciples, he takes them up on top of the mountain and he's going to teach them. He's going to teach them a lesson. 
He's going to teach them a great lesson. He's going to teach them something that they need to learn about life because he is the teacher. And I need to let you know, life is a classroom. And whether it's on a mountain, at your job, or your play place, listen, I help you understand. You've got to know who are you learning from and what are you learning. I pray that you learn from the teacher today. There's one thing I want you to write down. It's the first. Listen, Jesus is the compassionate teacher. I want you to learn this. Jesus is the compassionate teacher. You see, something else that we learn in another gospel, Matthew's gospel, is John the Baptist had just been beheaded. This is Jesus' family. And the reason why Jesus told the disciples, hey, let's get on a boat and go somewhere, he's mourning. I mean, you hear that your family member just lost his head. So not only are the disciples tired, Jesus is sorrowful over the loss of his own family member. And yet he gets on the shore and he sees, and the Bible says in Mark's gospel, he had compassion on the people. He had compassion on them. He's tired. He's mourning. He's been on a mission trip. He just got really bad news. He meets 5,000 people at his desolate retreat center, and he has compassion on them. Well, the disciples are also tired and hungry. They've been promised a retreat, a little special time away with Jesus. And they meet over 5,000 people in need. Has it ever happened to you? You go to open your Bible. You think you've woken up early enough that no one will disturb you. And then your baby starts crying. Amen, moms? Amen? You, 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 you ever happen to you when you've made a day plan for yourself and you've sent your kids off to school and one of them calls... Mom, I'm sick. Are you really sick? Like, how sick are you? Like, can you stay in the nurse's place kind of sick? Or like, I need to come get you kind of sick? Oh, no, Mom, I can't move. I'm like, I'm, I, I, I need you to come get me. Amen? 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 No one else. Okay, good. I'm glad. How overwhelmed they must have been. So much so, they encouraged Jesus can you get rid of the crowd? Well, the teacher takes him up on the mountain, and he wants to teach his students a lesson about true compassion. He knew exactly the lesson these disciples needed in order for them to learn what it means to be a Christian. He needed to teach them about true compassion. And John gives us the objective of the lesson. It's found there, right, in John chapter 6, verse 4. Here's the objective of the lesson. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. This is not about chronology. No, John is letting us know this because it's about theology. Remember our story with the kids? These are pilgrims. They're on their way to Jerusalem. It's kind of like how we all feel forced to go to the mall at Christmas. All the Jews feel forced to go to Jerusalem during the Passover. It's just what they do. It's their responsibility. And here at this particular place is the corridor, the one road that leads to Jerusalem. It's where all the pilgrims from the north would take their 70-mile journey to go to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. The Passover... Passover was the feast that celebrated that God's people has been set free. No longer were they slaves in Egypt. They were taken out of Egypt. So John is letting us know something. That just as Moses delivered you out of Egypt, you're looking at your deliverer. But the amazing thing is, 
this crowd a year from now will shout crucify him. And Jesus knows that. He knows the very crowd he's about to feed is going to be the very crowd that's going to cry, cry crucify. To me, this is overwhelming compassion. It's an unconditional love, and the disciples need to learn this, as we need to learn this from the compassionate teacher, because let me tell you something about the compassion of Jesus Christ. It does not change despite rejection. It doesn't change despite someone else's response or even their retaliation. Unconditional love. Oh, no, it remains persistent. It remains consistent, and it is resistant to be anything other than compassionate. That's the compassion of our teacher. And Jesus, despite their rejection, he's going to be the Passover lamb, the lamb without blemish that will die on a cross for the very ones that will reject him. His love is unconditional. He needs his disciples to learn this. He needs them to understand this. Look with me, if you would, at John chapter 6, verse 5. John chapter 6, verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, now maybe you'll underline that name in your Bible, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. Now Jesus has already said, you give them something to eat. Jesus has already said, go see what else. That's what the other gospel tells us. Now they're up alone, away after the disciples have had a chance to think about this. And he looks at Philip and he says, Philip, give them something to eat. Now the Bible says in verse uh, 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each one of them to get a little. I want you to write it down. It's number two. Jesus is a faithful teacher. Jesus is the faithful teacher. He's taken his disciples up on the mountain. Now, that's very important. He's taken them up on the mountain to teach them the lesson. And sometimes Jesus has to give us a different perspective, give us a different way to see something in order for us to see clearly. It happened to me. When I was with these Iranian refugees last week, kicked out of their country because of their faith, most of them had been jailed because of their faith now kicked out of their country because of their faith, living in a city in Turkey that they can't even leave the city. It's like a jail. They have to go to the police and sign in every two weeks that they are there. They can't get a job. They, they, they barely make it. And here they are, as I'm looking at them with absolute joy, dancing and singing in church. Jesus took me to my mountain. He gave me a different perspective and I was able to see that maybe some of the things that I struggle with here in the great United States of America, at least I can leave Aliso Viejo and travel to even Colorado if I want to. See, sometimes the Lord just has to give us a different perspective. Well, there's nothing like a fire as we're thinking about what's most important to us to remind us what is most important to us. Sometimes in life, Jesus just has to take us to a mountain. He has to give us a different perspective because he's a faithful teacher. Now, he, he asks Philip. I love John. John, don't pull no punches. I mean, read First John. Trust me. If you read First John, make sure you read Romans because if you read First John, you won't think you're saved. So make sure you read Romans so that you got some grace going when you get to John, First John, okay? Now, here's the deal. John just pulls it out there and goes, he asks Philip. None of the other gospels reveal who he asks. 
But John goes, he asked Philip. Because throughout John's gospel, he's trying to show the plight of faith of Philip. And while the other gospels don't point it out, John does because he's using Philip throughout the gospel to help us possibly reveal our own condition. You see, it was in John chapter 1, Philip is, we're introduced to Philip for the first time. And when he goes to Nathaniel, he says to Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see? No, our faith, we walk by faith, not by sight, Philip. And then in John chapter 14, we see Philip's name again. And in John chapter 14, Philip looks at Jesus and says, show us the Father. And Jesus goes, Philip, have you been with me so long? Philip struggled with faith. He struggled with faith with Jesus. He struggled with faith with his situation. He struggled with faith with his circumstance. Anyone ever been like a Philip? Anyone ever been like a Philip? Okay, about three of you. Excellent. He struggled with his faith. Philip responds, he goes, 200 denarii? You want us to give all of our money? That's all the money we have, and it still won't be enough to feed everybody. But Jesus tests him. Jesus tests him. That's what faithful teachers do. Tests reveal where we are and what we need to learn. Without a test, it's impossible to know if I know what Y equals MX plus B is. Some of you are like, what's that? It's called a theory. I can't even remember what the name of it is. Someone, you, Y equals MX plus B? Slope. Slope? Okay, yeah. As if that's important to any of us, right? Okay. And it amazes me that Philip thought it was a question of money. Money. 200 denarii. 200 denarii. Philip needed to learn. this, This ministry ain't about money. Philip, this is about your heart. I'm trying to get a message across to you. Philip answers with, I don't have enough money to do this. Exactly. I'm setting you up to have faith. I'm setting you up to believe in me. And if money was the answer, why is our government, I checked this morning, $21.4 trillion in debt offering government program after government program after government program to help our morality? It don't work. Money does not mean ministry, Philip, because money doesn't solve problems. Jesus does. Money does not solve problems, Philip. Jesus does. Now, Philip practically was the best one to ask because Philip was from Bethsaida. We learned that in John chapter 1. So Philip would know, where's the bread store? Where's the fish store? Where can we go buy things, Philip? You're from this area. He was practically the right person to ask. But spiritually, Philip, you watched Jesus turn water to wine. You you were there. You were one of the disciples, the early disciples that were there. You watched Jesus turn water to wine. I don't want you to be too hard on him. Don't be too hard on him. Because how much has Jesus done for us that when we face our trials, we begin to doubt as well? When he sends a little test our way, we begin to realize, oh my goodness, I'm not the Christian I thought I was. Why is this making me so miserable when the joy of the Lord is my strength? And no longer are we singing, I lift my hands, oh happy day. I'm like, oh happy day. Amen? 
Amen. I watched some of you during that song. Oh, happy day. And you were looking at your wife. Happy day. I'll wash your sins away. The song was for you, not for your wife. And quite frankly, she's probably the holy one of the two of you. Amen? Amen. <laughs> All the women said amen. <laughs> that was great. And I'm convinced this is why the psalmist wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. We're so quick to forget. That's why we need the church. That's why we need fellowship. That's why we need each other, because we're quick to forget in trial. And I want you to see fellowship to the rescue. Look with me if you would. John chapter 6, verse 8. John chapter 6, verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Andrew comes to the rescue. We've got to remember Andrew and Philip are great friends. They grew up together. They, they worked together. They had gone and served John the Baptist together. They came to Christ together. They were great friends. And Jesus had said, hey, go and see who's got some food. Well, Andrew went out. i got to go rescue my friend. I mean, he's on the pressure with Jesus. And he comes in on the scene. He goes, Jesus, i got five loaves and two fish. Aunt Philip, i got you. Get behind me quick. This is Andrew to the rescue for his friend who's overwhelmed in the test. You know what I love about Andrew? Andrew's struggling with faith too. When Andrew offers his bread, he says, what are these among so many? And even though Andrew's struggling with the problem that Philip is struggling with, he still makes a step of faith. He still offers a tiny bit of faith, a mustard seed of faith. And I don't care what kind of faith you offer Jesus, whether it's a skyscraper kind of faith or it's a mustard seed kind of faith, he will take that faith and do something with it. And look what Jesus did. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. All we need is a mustard seed. You guys, I believe that we can reach our city. And when I came here a year and a half ago, God gave me a scripture in Joshua 5, shout for I've given you the city. And yesterday when the fire broke out, I called our mayor. And he responded immediately. I was just so thankful and I said, hey, what can we do? Can we open up the church? Can we feed someone? Can we become a staging center? Like, what can we do as the church? He called the city manager. City manager said, hey, we, we, we need a, a place where people can go with animals. So I called the rest of the pastoral staff, and I said, okay, we're going to be a shelter. I just didn't add the par parenthetical animal part. <laughs> well, well, well. So he called me back and he goes, now there's not going to be horses or anything like that. I just want you to know. I was like, well, I mean, the book might be kind of awkward in one-on-one. You walk in, there's like a mule, right? You know? And then he called me back and he said this. Hey, Chet, I'm just so thankful for my church. And the city manager wants to meet with you. And we want to talk about how Coast Hills can be used in any emergency event. And I said, we're in because we want to be here for our community. Do you know how long I've been praying for an inroad? And so, if the Lord opens the door for us to feed all of our firefighters and tell them thank you, I want all of you here. Amen?
because we want to bless them. You see, all it is a mustard seed of faith. It was Jesus. Help me figure out how to get into the city. I had no idea that he'd do a little fire and that no houses would burn, but it would open up a door for us to minister to our city manager. Amen? I'm not saying that Jesus caused the fire. Someone's going to email me. That's not what I said. I want you to see Jesus. Look what the Bible says of him. He said to the people, sit down, verse 10. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. I want you to write it down. Jesus is an orderly teacher. He does things in order. And as the good shepherd of Psalm 23, he makes his sheep down, lie down in green pastures. These were not brown pastures. These were green pastures. And he organized them, Mark tells us, into 50s and 100s because order is important to God. No wonder Paul would say God does things in decency and in order. It's what we do. Every week we have a program meeting. And we talk about everything from how do we sit you well to how do we lead you in worship well to how can my teaching get better so that I can minister more effectively. We are constantly in the process of creating good order so that we can be good ministers because with God there is order. Now, all my teenagers, I wonder if the Trinity lives in your bedroom. When I open up your drawer, does God live in your drawer? Can I get an amen from the parents? Oftentimes I will walk in my kid's bedroom and I will say, God has left this room. The bed is not made. The drawers are a mess. There is no sign of the Trinity in this room. Amen? He's a God of order. In fact, he loves order. So his order, he lifted up the bread and he gave thanks. Then... He gave it to the disciples, the doubting, faithless disciples, you and me. He gave it to the disciples and he said, the best way for you to learn is for you to do it. He didn't distribute it. No, he blessed it and then he gave it to them. Because the only way that we're going to learn is if we're serving. The only way we're going to put feet to our faith is if we're actually walking in service. And whether you were a volunteer at Camp at Coast or whether you're going to be a volunteer for our youth ministry or whether you're going to be a volunteer at the barbecue for our firefighters, the way that Jesus says is the orderly way to learn is that you actually put feet to your faith and you do something with your faith. Finally, I want you to see something about Jesus. Look at verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up with 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Five loaves. Let's say each one of them had a half of a burrito. That's 5,000 men, a half a loaf, not counting the women and children. That's an increase of 500 times the original amount. Two fish. Let's say each one of the men, just the men, not the women and children, just the 5,000 men, let's say each one of them just had one package of Starkist. 
That's a 2,500 times the original increase. It's an increase of 2,500 times the original. Let me tell you something. You can't go wrong but give Jesus just a mustard seed. He'll do something with it because he's an exemplary teacher. And he wants to use you and your mustard seed of faith to increase his kingdom 500 times, 2,500 times. I wonder if we can learn the lesson from the little boy. And maybe just give what we have. A talent, a song, time, or a treasure. Treasure.